And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And the politics got a little bit more interesting in the past few days. Uh, we've been waiting to see what uh, sort of shape the state superintendent's race might take and... Well, we've got one more uh, one more candidate. Got a little bit more interesting, Kevin, didn't it? Uh, tell me about uh, who Jeff Dillon is and, and why he's running for superintendent of public instruction and who he's going to challenge. Right. So Jeff Dillon is the uh, superintendent in the Wilder School District. And Wilder is kind of an interesting school district for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the poorest districts in the state in terms of uh, uh, percentage of students who qualify for, for free lunch or reduced price lunch. Uh, a district that's had a hard time sometimes passing supplemental levy uh, just to try to uh, supplement uh, and augment state funding. So this is a, a district that's faced some real challenges in the past. Um, Dylan has uh, sort of tried to reach out and figure out new ways to innovate in the district. Uh, the district is involved with uh, Apple on an iPad project that uh, provides devices to every student in the district. Uh, Apple does this across the country with, with, a, with a lot of districts, kind of like Wilder, that are facing a lot of financial challenges. So that's sort of the mini biography of, uh, of Jeff Dillon. Um, he filed his initial paperwork on Friday, uh, a week ago. Oh, yep, yeah, a week ago. To uh, basically name a campaign treasurer, which is sort of a precursor to going out and starting to raise money for a challenge uh, to uh, State Superintendent Sherry Barra. Dylan will run in the Republican primary. When I had a chance to talk to him this week, he didn't say a whole lot. Well, he didn't say anything about uh, Sherry Barra. He declined comment on her performance so far on the job. Uh, and didn't really talk too much about the relationship between the State Department of Education and the uh, superintendents around the state. And there, there have been some, some issues between the districts and the, uh, the SDE, as we've talked about in the past here. Um, and he really didn't talk too much about what his priorities are going to be. I, I think uh, at this point, it's very early in the race. Uh, he said he decided to jump in now to try to start to raise some money and try to start to elevate his profile around the state because uh, while you and I know this guy's name and we know a little bit about the Wilder District, he's not very well known around the state and he concedes that point. So uh, the race has started slowly, but it has started. Yeah, that's why we're talking about uh, a primary election that's essentially one year away, but that's why uh, we're talking about it today is because number one, he filed a week ago, but number two, he did so early, like you said, uh, to build up uh, name recognition, to build up a staff, to maybe build up uh, some some money uh, to to run and and to run his campaign. But uh, yeah, right. right. I mean, that's why right. we're talking that's, about a race that's right, and that's why he's. Uh, and there may be some advantages for him to jump in early, uh, especially when he's trying to build build up some name identification and trying to raise some money, but. By no means does this guarantee that this is it in terms of candidates. Uh, we've heard rumors about other potential Republican candidates. Wendy Horman, Representative Wendy Horman's name, has come up a lot in the rumor mill. She declined comment this week about uh, Dylan's filing. Uh, Heather Williams is a former Gooding School Superintendent. She had looked at the race in 2014, decided not to run. She didn't comment either. Those are a couple of Republicans whose names have sort of come up in the rumor mill. 
don't know what's going on on the Democratic side of the ticket. And, and this is one race where Democrats uh, might be looking to, to see this as an opportunity. Um, you have to go back to 2002, but this is the last statewide race that Democrats won. Came pretty close to winning it in 2006, came pretty close to winning it in 2014 when Ibarra was elected. So I think if you're Democrats, you're looking at this as a potentially winnable race. So uh, I, I will wait and see what happens on the Democratic side of the ticket as well. And yeah, and, and speaking of going back to the Republican side of the ticket, you talked about this may not be the last filing. And I want to go back to the spring of 2014. Uh, Superintendent Sherry Ybarra did not have a lot of name recognition back then, did not run the most active or well-oiled campaign in the history of Idaho politics, but escaped from a four-way Republican mm -hmm. primary with something like 28% of the votes. Right. I mean, when you had that four-way primary, you tend to have really close uh, close races, and that was definitely one of them. Um, and then she survived uh, a pretty rocky general election where she made a lot of mistakes, uh, where she was uh, outraised significantly uh, by the Democrat China Jones. We'll see if history repeats itself. In some ways, history is repeating itself because I took a look at the, uh, the right. Sunshine Reports and, and saw kind of where Sherry Ivara is in the fundraising. Kind of starting at the same place Jeff Dillon is almost, uh, right? Right. I mean, if you're, if you're Jeff Dillon, you would take some consolation, or if you're any candidate looking at this race, uh, you would take some consolation in the fact that while Sherry Ibarra told us in late 2015 that she was planning to run again and, and is still planning to run again, virtually no fundraising in the calendar year of 2016. One donation from Hecla Mining in Coeur d'Alene, 250 bucks. Uh, she ends 2016 with a war chest of $92.78. Not exactly a lot of money in, in the bank. And usually incumbents enjoy some financial advantages going into a, a re-election. Uh, $92 is not much of a financial advantage. Um, but like I say, she's won races before where she's been outspent and sure. maybe uh, outmaneuvered in the traditional sense of what you would expect to see a candidate do in a campaign. So, um, but, but you know, that, that, that's, a, a, that's not very much money. And it heads us into a period where, you know, there's going to be competition for financial, uh, for donations in, in, in these political races going into 2018. We know there's going to be a lot of money in the governor's race. There already is a lot of money in the governor's race, and that is only going to go up. So there's going to be some competition down ticket for uh, for donations, uh, and that may affect Sherry Ibarra. It may affect her challengers. There just isn't that much money to go around, and there's just so much campaign infrastructure right now in this governor's race. And Brad Little's got 400000 that he raised last year. We know Tommy Alquist, the uh, developer and doctor from Boise, who has jumped into the race. And he jumped in in 2017, so we don't even know what he's raised. But he's already talking about going very aggressively in terms of fundraising. Uh, Russ Fulcher's raised some money, about 50000 And we don't even know what Raul Labrador is going to do if he's going to jump into the race. So there may be so much money in the governor's race that it may be difficult for any of these candidates in the superintendent's race to break through and and get a slice of the money. There's only so much to go around at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a fascinating next year, Kevin. We will stay busy. We will earn our money uh, covering these races and, and helping our readers and our listeners get to know uh, the candidates for the statewide offices. We're looking 
forward to that. We're going to have some big plans. But yeah, in the meantime, we'll keep an eye out for new filings. Uh, we'll try to uh, uh, get folks a little bit more uh, closely acquainted uh, with both Jeff Dillon and Superintendent Sherry Ibarra and anybody, anybody else, else who, who may uh, file on either uh, party's ticket seeking this office. But uh, it's off and running for us, and it's going to be uh, a marathon for the next year until the Republican primary and year and a half uh, until the uh, general election in 2018. But I'm looking forward to it. A lot of interest um, in in these races. Hopefully a lot of good debate and discussions uh, that will benefit Idahoans all across the state. Okay. And let's turn our focus then to civics outside of the political arena, but in the classroom. You took a look at what's going on with the state's newest uh, graduation requirement. How's it going? Yeah, we're not, I want to clarify here, we're not talking about civics on the floor of the House of Representatives. Yeah, we wouldn't want that, (laughs) would we? No, no, but this was mandated by the legislature for the first time uh, this school year. In order to graduate, high school seniors need to pass a civics test, and this is... Uh, the districts are given a lot of latitude in how they can administer this, but the basic idea is that they will either administer or create a test that's based on the 100-question U.S. citizenship test. And so for the very first time, high school seniors are having to take this test and pass it uh, in order to graduate. And I checked in with a handful of districts uh, across the state, some medium-sized districts, a couple smaller districts. And by and large, what administrators and educators told me is that The material in the civics test was already being almost completely covered anyways under existing social studies and American government uh, classes. And by and large, the students who are taking these tests are passing them easily and on the first time. That's the general trend. Mm -hmm. However, when you dig down a little bit deeper, there are a couple of issues Uh, Wrinkles maybe that are coming up because we are so close to graduation. A lot of schools have graduation this month, in the next two weeks, and uh, and this is a new requirement. So uh, there are a handful of students, a very small, small percentage across the state, whose ability to graduate on time with their classmates might be threatened because of this new graduation requirement. And the law does allow districts to give this test over and over again. Mm -hmm. So if a student took it in March and didn't pass it, uh, they could study again, they could review the citizenship test online, and then take it again with their home district uh, pretty much about as many times as necessary to pass the test. Now, in future years, it's going to be a lot easier for students to satisfy this graduation requirement uh, because schools can start begin testing students when they're in the seventh grade. Uh, they can take the test in bits and pieces. They can take it over and over again. But so if you're a school district and, you're ta- and you've got kids taking an American government class, say, in sophomore year, might you can make the civics test then while this material is fresh in their right. mind, it, something like that. Yeah, it might make sense. And I've talked to districts that are looking to do that. Test the kids earlier. Test the kids uh, when they are in the middle of that course. And so they've been exposed to the relevant uh, material and had a chance to study and prepare and all that stuff. But this year's seniors did not have that opportunity. Another minor wrinkle that I ran into is many, many high school seniors take American government uh, uh, to satisfy their graduation requirements as a senior in high school. But not all students. Some students take a social studies or government course as a junior or even a sophomore. And so those kids this year had to be rounded up and brought in and tested on stuff that they weren't familiar with or they hadn't gone over in a classroom setting for a year or more. So another little added bit of pressure to this high-stakes test in this first year. Um, 
But a, a lot of teachers I talked to said they were covering the material already. Uh, it sort of reinforced uh, their confidence in their students because it, it, it illustrated to them that they knew the material. And, and even in some cases, like the Garden Valley School District, they rounded up kids who had taken social studies in government a year or two ago. Uh, and the vast majority of them still passed the test this year. And so the teacher there, Mr. Court, uh, was really pleased that the students retained that knowledge. And he thought, and, you know, and this kind of goes back, if you can picture some of those late-night talk shows mm, where sure. they find the man yeah. on the street, and they ask what seemed like stupid, simple questions, name the vice president of the United States, name a Supreme Court justice, what are the first ten amendments to the Constitution called? And adults struggle mightily over these questions. And so that's what we're trying. That's, I think, what legislators are trying to head off in Idaho by mandating this as a graduation requirement. So a little bit of a interesting story there. By and large, people are satisfied with it. Uh, it didn't sound like a ton of new work uh, in the school districts that I talked to. And if you want to find out a little bit more uh, about the program, about the graduation requirement, and specifically how some of the districts implemented this test, head on over to idahoednews.org and uh, check out our report there. That's a good update. And Kevin, kind of keeping a theme that you've been uh, focusing on since the Idaho legislative session adjourned, uh, you've kind of turned your attention to the federal government, the new Trump administration, and some of the budget and policy proposals uh, that would uh, affect Idaho. But you took a look at the new federal budget uh, that, uh, that made it out of Congress and, and some of the implications for Idaho on education programs. Uh, what did you find out and what are folks saying? Well, it all got kind of overshadowed this week by the House's vote on, uh, uh, on health care. But pretty important stuff here in terms of, well, in terms of passing a budget to keep the government open until the end of the, the budget year uh, on September 30th, but also some very significant wrinkles in this budget as it pertains to, uh, to education. It's a $68 billion spending plan for the Department of Education. And when you get down into the line items, you see some things that, uh, that I found rather interesting. Uh, Congress increased funding for a, a program that pays for before school and after school programs and summer school programs. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, looking at uh, a program in Cache County. These are all programs that are supposed to help uh, at-risk kids, uh, give them a place to uh, get some extra help. Uh, give them a little bit of structure outside of the regular school day. You've got uh, more than 40 of these programs around the state. A little bit of a boost in funding for this program, and this is one of the programs that President Trump wants to zero out as early as next year. So Congress kind of setting a, uh, kind of establishing its position on these kind of programs. Also boosting money for, uh, for Title I, which uh, is targeted to high-poverty school districts, uh, putting some more money into special education. One area that did get cut, and this is a fairly significant area in Idaho, is a, an initiative that helps pay for teacher training and helps school districts maybe add some teachers, reduce some class sizes. It's a big program. And almost every school district and almost every charter in the state gets a piece of this funding. It's another program that Trump wants to zero out, but for now, uh, a fairly significant cut in that budget just in this current budget year. Now, that doesn't affect Idaho right away. Uh, the way the State Department of Education spends this money, it's basically funding forward. So they're basically spending last year's appropriation this year. So this cut won't wind up in the pipeline for another year or so. And even if Trump were to convince Congress to zero out this program entirely, 
which may be a long shot politically, even if the program is zeroed out, it would be a, a couple of years before that is seen in the classroom. But like I say, this is a very uh, popular, very widespread program in Idaho schools. Um, so what happened there in terms of that budget is, is also rather interesting because here Congress is saying, well, there's maybe some room to cut in this program. Uh, interesting sidelight in all of this, and we go into more detail about what's up and what's down in this uh, spending plan. Um, Congressman Mike Simpson, the only member of the Idaho delegation to vote for the budget compromise this week. Uh, Congressman uh, Ralph Labrador voted against it, and the two senators, uh, Mike Crapo and Jim Rush, voted against it on Thursday. Anyway, go to idahoednews.org and get more of a breakdown about what's in this budget and what's not in this budget. Good report. And, yeah, thanks for pointing out. I was going to ask, but thanks for pointing out the uh, – obviously our congressional delegation uh, was not in agreement over this plan. I think I saw on C-SPAN uh, Congressman Simpson actually presiding over the ceremony and banging the gavel uh, when the vote was called. But, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, our delegation was not in agreement. But uh, head on over to idahoednews.org and check out our report. We've had a couple of other stories uh, throughout the week that you can check out. Some boundary changes over in East Idaho's Bonneville School District uh, that may affect uh, you and your family. If you live in that district, want to check that out. Our Devin Bodkin has a report on that. Uh, our Andrew Reed has a really interesting, really, really kind of inspirational profile of a, of a senior graduating Twin Falls High School who works 25 hours a week to support his family in addition to... Uh, graduating with a 3.9 GPA and 21 college credits and the college scholarship in hand. I mean, you know, you know kid's got a lot going on in his life, and he's uh, managed to uh, to graduate, and you know, now he moves on to college. Very, very good profile. Congratulations to that young man. It's a great story from Andrew. And, and Kevin, as you said last week, this is the kind of the time of year when I sit here and uh, am humbled by a lot of these young students that we meet that are preparing for graduation, kind of take stock of my own life and, the, <laughs> and how they've accomplished so much more than I have uh, in, at this point in their young life. So it's really the exciting. Students like I make you feel like an underachiever, but uh, congratulations uh, all around. Congratulations to all of them. Congratulations to everybody who's going to be graduating uh, at the end of this month. I think that catches us up with all this week's headlines. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at Idaho Ed News on Twitter to keep up on all of our daily news and breaking stories. We always enjoy this podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening to Extra Credit each and every week. I'm Clark Corbin. And I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.